love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura, and I'm joined by pro triathlete and podium adventure racer, Alyssa Gadeski, national championship podium uh, finisher. I, I'm like, what's the correct terminology for adventure racing? How are you feeling? Hi, Haley. I'm feeling pretty good. I have to apologize to our listeners this week. My sound, I'm not usually great on the sound situation anyway, I feel like, but um, particularly rough this week because I am not as prepared as Haley is traveling with the microphone and remembering all that stuff. So, and I don't even have my correct earbuds with like a, the tiny microphone in them. That makes it like a little bit better. I'm just speaking into my computer speakers, which is like probably the worst case scenario for podcasting. So I apologize to everyone who's going to, you know, uh, have to suffer through with the bad editing, but at least for the interview, I think I had the good, inter- the good microphone. So it'll only take 20 minutes. You sound fine. You sound okay, fine to me. And I think maybe it's because we're like in the same time zone. I think we're both in Pacific time, which is very, um, out of the ordinary for us, but we need to hear about adventure racing national championship team vert third place, uh, 30 hours of racing. How, how did it go? Was there anything yeah. exciting or unexpected? Any swimming? We were hoping um, for some swimming. There was no swimming in the end, but <sighs> so this race was, um, held in, the Bishop California slash Mammoth area. So the Eastern Sierras, which is an area I had never been to. Um, and they had like a backup course actually planned in case there were fires or something in the area. And so the backup course was going to be right outside of LA. So they had kind of encouraged people as they were planning to be flying into LA and, you know, driving out to Bishop that way um, in case, you know, they had to do a course change and the race was actually going to be held more in the LA area. So we were also flying into LA because my sister lives here. And so that was nice. I could kind of combine that with a visit with her. Um, and we had a good little home base before. And then since after the race, so that's been nice, but it was like a little over five hours to drive up to Mammoth mountain the day before the race from LA. Um, and you're just kind of like driving up and up and up in elevation into the mountains. And this was, this is a question we get in the mailbag sometimes, like how to deal with altitude and racing and things like that historically I personally have not raced well at altitude I don't enjoy racing at altitude I spent a summer in Breckenridge at 9,000 feet and did not go well for me to do that um so I had been trying to put that out of my mind going into this race a bit and as we were driving up there I was like oh man these like uh you know like I hope this goes well but we had decided so there's like a few schools of thought with altitude but you either go up there, you know, the day before the race, or you're kind of, you should be there for like two whole weeks to really acclimate. Right. So we were doing that like fast and furious within 24, 36 hours type of thing, get up there and just start the race. Um, but so that was kind of the plan for that. Um, and then getting into the Bishop mammoth area for the first time, it is gorgeous up there. Um, I definitely would love to go back and spend some more time, even though we, we got to see a lot of it in the 30 hours of racing, but it was really, really cool, really like giant, giant mountains, just like massive and like breathtaking type of scenery um, that feels like you're just like looking at a postcard all the time. So 
uh, the day before the race, you take the gondola on Mammoth Mountain with your bike and you, we were staging our bikes at the top of the mountain, which left us to realize that meant probably the race start would be, you know, starting and then hiking up the mountain um, to get the bikes and ride them down. So I had done a bit of practicing on some downhill mountain bike trails around me in the last month or so to practice like downhill mountain biking on, um, a legit like downhill course type of thing and honestly it hadn't been going super well for me but at least like I knew I could get through it um but taking the gondola up and like yeah getting up to just below I think 11,000 feet is the top of Mammoth Mountain um oh, made a real could you notice can um, you tell there's I no oxygen like felt <laughs> like so you take your bike off the gondola and then you had to kind of like hike it up this like sh- short steep incline to get up to where we were staging the bikes And as soon as I would hit anything that was like, just like steep and short and like require like probably fast twitch, like power muscles, it was like my legs burnt out immediately. And I was like, whoo, I feel like I've been doing six hours of exercise. But other than that, and that was kind of true for the race too. Like when we had the long hike up the mountain, I was actually doing pretty good for the most part until we would hit like a little really steep section. But like on the kind of gradual climbing of it, for the most part, I was okay. I could definitely feel it wasn't like normal, but I was glad that, you know, I think doing that short, like just get there and start racing is definitely the way to go. If I ever have to race at altitude again. Um, but I will say above like 8,000 feet, like once we would cross that barrier, I was just like pretty useless. Like, you know, just, just feeling it. I couldn't really like, that was the point where I had to stop talking. Cause if I talked, that was like, the extra little power surge that really hit me. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just not talking because that makes me not feel great. So, um, but, but yeah, so I've kind of jumped back and forth a little bit, but the race started with the hike up Mammoth Mountain, which was pretty epic. Uh, Team Vert, we were the uh, first team to arrive at the top of the mountain. Oh, right. Looking up to your name. Yeah. We are ready for this. Um, but then we quickly got passed in transition, which is a weakness of ours. And, uh, we headed down the mountain and it was fun. Like the first half of the day, we were kind of in, um, the front half of the race, but it was really in that second half of the race where we had a big long night bike section and, um, some trekking and, uh, a long trekking through like a Canyon, uh, which was six hours. Basically you drop down into a Canyon and you have to go four miles through the canyon um and just it takes a long time and it's really slow going but that's the kind of stuff we're pretty solid at and so that helped us kind of through that second half of the race just stay strong and um kind of keep chipping away at some of the other teams who we like were we were able to move a little faster than and especially in that second half so we moved up through the ranks through the day and yeah we we actually were like really back and forth with second place all the way through, uh, the last few segments. And, uh, then we had, we had a pretty big nav error towards navigation error, um, on our bikes. And we ended up having to bike an extra like six K or so to kind of fix that and get the checkpoint we missed. And in that time, that was when the, the place flipped for the last time. And we fell into third place and we weren't able to get it back in the the remaining segments we had left but uh you know adventure racing is definitely a sport that takes you know it's not fitness based solely right like having good fitness really helps but a lot of it is from experience and just skills and some of these things that you're doing so 
I think for a newer team, we're like super proud of ourselves and really happy with landing on the podium against teams that have been doing it for a really long time. Right. So some of those racers have been adventure racing for like a decade or more. Um, so to be coming in and kind of making a name for ourselves amongst them is something we're really happy with. And, uh, they announced the location for next year's nationals at this, you know, at the current year's nationals. And we are very excited to hear that next year's national championship for adventure racing will be taking place in Vermont. So <gasps> hometown, hometown. Yeah. <laughs> so it will not be at altitude next year. You can now start healing, hearing my voice. Cause as I like continue talking, um, that my lungs definitely took a beating with like oh. the, uh, going hard at altitude for so long, but, um, the, yeah, we're really excited for next year already to like continue learning and trying to race and just, yeah, having a little bit of home field advantage maybe for next year. Um, even though we have obviously no idea where the course will be, uh, it's just, it's fun. It'll be on terrain we're we're familiar with in the area, I'm sure. So, um, yeah. so that'll be exciting. Oh, and you have a whole year to prepare, get your team together. Well, congratulations on that podium finish. How did our friend of the podcast, Abby Perkis and her all-female team do? Haley, they did, I mean, like so, so well, I don't even know what the right adjective is because I'm still trying to sleep and like get my verbs and like adjectives and now like all of my language back together to like a normal standard, but they were phenomenal out racing. I think every team was just so impressed by them. I was constantly like looking over my shoulder in the back half of the race, expecting them to just pop out and be like, Hey guys, we're having fun. We're doing well. Cause that was what was happening in the first half of the race when they were just like, there and like in the mix with the front teams putting themselves out there um all abby perkis um karen and nikki all did so so well and special shout out to nikki driscoll as their navigator um she that's like that's a really tough exhausting job to do especially when it's like under pressure and you know you're at altitude you're not like thinking and i mean nikki nailed the navigation there which is so so cool to have watched them do like a part of that even um and yeah they impressed everyone everyone was out there cheering for them and I think they had so much fun like yeah I think they always make me laugh because I feel so much more serious racing than um than they look when they're out racing but it was really fun to see so congratulations to Rootstock on that first place all-female team and they were fifth overall I mean insane they did so well okay yeah and how about um the showdown the triathlete showdown you versus Jared Schumacher. How did that end up? Oh yes. Well, so without the swim, um, maybe that did work to my advantage, but so there was, there was no swim ultimately in, in the, um, race and the water activities were limited to paddling, which though Jared has said the swimming is like his paddle. He just swim trains for paddling. So, um, but, uh, we, I think, I think they came in, I'm trying to figure out how they were fifth in the co-ed division. Um, okay. I don't think my brain's working enough to like compare. So, so you beat him, you beat him, but yeah. But oh you, yeah. So okay, before... I took the crown for the triathletes, um, yes. which is very exciting. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm partial um, to you. I like Jared, but I'm partial to you, but I think you said another former pro, um, triathlete, Lisa Roberts was also on Jared's team. Yeah. Yeah. So Lisa Roberts, um, has, was racing professional triathlon similar and like has turned into, you know, an ultra runner and just adventure racer, I guess. I don't know if this was her first experience adventure racing. I know she's raced 
coast to coast in New Zealand before, which oh, is wow. um, not mountain like biking, but it's like paddling and adventure type of sports. And she's kind of like an all around athlete. So she, I think joined him on that team. And um, yeah, so it was a, you know, I think we're like making this more of a common thing, which is very exciting to see. I don't think it's, you know, for every triathlete, but it's definitely a fun avenue to pursue if triathletes are looking for a little bit more adventure. Nice. Well, congratulations again on that podium. I'm glad you're down from altitude, getting some wonderful oxygen and recovering because we know that this is, is, uh, just the beginning for you. It's never, it's you, I'm sure you already have you and uh, team Vert have something else cooking in the adventure racing, uh, adventures, but there was also a lot of a big triathlon this past weekend, big pro triathlon at the PTO us open in Dallas. I imagine you were out on the race course during the whole race. You probably didn't get to catch much of the women's race on Saturday, but I have a little surprise for you because I got the inside scoop. My sister who I call Hannah, she goes by Kate. Her name's Hannah Kate. Like that's her actual name. But, um, so there is a little confusion in this interview, but she was there (laughs) and, um, she came on for a quick interview, quick spectator recap to tell me what it was like. So would you like to hear that? Yeah, I'm, I, you're exactly right. I caught not like a few kind of Instagram updates on the race, but basically nothing. So I definitely want to hear all about this. Thank you, Hannah Kate. Here we go. Here she is. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, Haley. How's it going? (laughs) Good. Well, I'm so glad to have you on because as our listeners might know, you are my sister and you do live in the Dallas area. And even though I was not racing in the PTO US Open in Dallas, you still went and watched. Yeah, I did. I guess you guys have inspired me by listening to the podcast so much. I was like, ooh, it's a, it's a US Open. This is so exciting. And just yeah. watching Serena last week, probably, or two weeks ago, whatever. Yeah, yeah. We need the US Open in triathlon to be as big as the US Open in tennis. That would be, then we know we've made it. But I want to hear about the spectator perspective because you've obviously you've spectated me at some Ironman races and other races. And so these PTO US Open races are new and they have huge amounts of prize money and they attract like these incredible fields. But how did it compare to being a spectator at an Ironman branded race? I think the big thing was, is they did separate the pros from the age groupers. So I actually got there while the age groupers were going and they got the race earlier in the morning. And so when the pros were happening, there were some age groupers still standing around. You could see their numbers, things along those lines. So I'd say that the majority of the spectators that were there were probably age groupers who had raced earlier in the day. I don't necessarily think many people from Dallas knew that the event was going on. I had to Google it pretty, uh, pretty hard. I don't know. It was really hard to find the like start information and things along those lines. But once you got there, it was so cool. Like they had this huge TV screen, similar to like what you'd see almost like at a, um, at a like football game or something and you could watch the entire race so it was probably similar to the stream Mm -hmm. that you all were seeing at home but like they had bleachers set up set up so you could sit there and watch like taylor nib passing uh lucy charles on the bike and things along those lines so even though you didn't necessarily see the entire race you saw a lot of it so i saw the entire swim obviously the lake was perfect size for you to see them do each loop 
then um, for the bike, like usually, unless you have a car and you know exactly where things are, you really only see the start and the finish sometimes. And so having the seven loops was really cool because every single time they came through, they came through and like passed right in front of you on this red carpet. And like, I know that the two uh, commentators that were doing most of the stream, I know Belinda, she's been on your podcast, but I don't know the guy's name, sorry. Not that into the sport, <laughs> but uh, Belinda and them, they were doing great commentary the entire time. They were making jokes. They were telling us who each person was. So you did really feel like you knew which pro was coming through and you could see them throughout their entire race. And like, you could hear the coaches talk. You heard people say, oh yeah, Lucy Charles and uh, Taylor are definitely going to be the ones to watch on the swim. So like the people that were spectating were absolutely like in the know. So that was really fun. And it was the women's, like the men's was on a separate day. So all of these people knew only about the women athletes that were there, which was really exciting too. Cause I mean, I'm a huge sports person in general and it sounded like a fantasy football league almost where they were like, yeah, this person's going to be at the lead at this point, And this person's going to kind of pass them. And all of that like strategy was being discussed. So definitely a fun perspective. Um, I actually brought someone with me who had never seen any triathlon at all. My friend Frances, and she, uh, was she was even in, like excited by it. She lived really close by, so that was really helpful. But at the same time, she was like, this is really well organized. And like, we were right in the front. They were handing out waters to keep us all hydrated because it was insanely oh, nice. hot. Nice. Yeah. They yeah. like were, that is very big spectator perk. I've never heard oh, of that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. They definitely did. Um, I, and it actually, if you looked at the information for it on the website, it even said, Hey, it's going to be hot. Wear this type of clothes. Like they prepared people as spectators. Once you found the information for sure. Nice. And I mean, that's really cool that you could hear the commentators because I think sometimes when you are spectating a triathlon, you, I'm like texting someone who can get, you know, watch the feed or can get on the app to get information because it's so hard to, to actually like know what's going on, even though you're standing right there because you can't see it all, but that's cool that you could actually hear Belinda commentating. Yeah, I could, I could hear her. I could see her too. She was there in a little tent right next to that huge screen. And then the other thing is, is like having that huge screen made as a spectator, it really easy for me to know when Taylor was coming back around for the oh. next loop. Cause I knew what the area looked like. And so I was like, oh, they're going by the Toyota music factory. That means that they're just down the street. So she's going to be coming into this transition really soon to go on to her next lap. So like, yeah. like I said, the lap based thing too also really helped because it just helped it be where I saw them a lot. So I easily had the opportunity to be like, oh, uh, Holly Lawrence is making a great play on this bike. She definitely like worked her way up. And so I could tell like, yeah, she's staying there in that pack group that obviously uh, Ashley Gentle was in. Like you knew they were getting close. They weren't close, close, obviously you had to wait a few minutes, but that whole group was definitely like on the heels enough that you were like, the, the run's gonna be really important. Wow. Okay. And you, you, I think you had to leave at a certain point during the bike, but then you had, te you were texting me. And when you heard that Ashley gentle had won and made up an yeah. eight minute gap on Taylor nib off the bike, you were shocked, right? Oh, I was absolutely shocked. Yeah. Like I left because I had an appointment and this was all a spontaneous thing for me, but at the same time, like Taylor looked so strong. And you knew Lucy Charles was going to be strong too. I know, 
obviously they talked about how they both came back from injury and that was a commentary that like everyone mentioned as they weren't sure how the run was going to go but the the margin was so big and taylor looked insane on the bike i know lucy had some bike issues but at the same point like making up that eight minute gap it did feel like insurmountable and so the fact that like ashley came back and that was so hot too Haley. like it got so hot throughout the day like we got a couple good breezes at times which was very nice for the spectators out there but at the same time like i did find a tree at one point while watching just so i could sit in the shade a little bit so like the fact that ashley like did that on the run is like spectacular it was like so exciting and it was, pace. And it was pace. It was in the last 2K that she passed Taylor too. Whoa. It was in the last 2K. Like I listened to the whole thing. I did listen to the commentary when I had to leave because I was so into it, right? I wanted to know what happened. Uh -huh. But at the same time, like eight minutes, like I said, seemed insurmountable when you saw how good Taylor looked and how like I, a lot of the commentary, I mean, even Michael Johnson, he was there doing a little commentary. He was like, we want an American to win. We want an American to uh win, you know? And so like, there was definitely like, the spectators were on Taylor's side for sure. But Ashley had, she even said on her post post like press conference saying, she was like, honestly, I have no idea, but I put everything into that race and I am so wow. excited. That is really cool. That's, I don't know. It sounds like, it sounds like it was set up so that, you know, the spectators, you really could, you could tell what was going on. You knew their stories, even if you didn't know them. I mean, you, you like, you mentioned that you've listened to the podcast before. And so you did kind of know some of these women, but you haven't seen all of them race. Was it neat to see some of these women that you've, you've heard their stories on the podcast and then actually see them in person? Oh yeah. Like every time they talked about how Taylor Nib, her mom was a triathlete. I was like, Oh, I knew that actually. So there actually was like the commentary in the background of my mind where I was like, Oh, I think Taylor and Alyssa have talked about this or to this person at times too. So like, it kind of was a really good recall for me as a spectator. Cause I've never done a triathlon. So anyway, that was kind of my whole like life is just doing it as a spectator. So it yeah. connected the dots, but at the same time, like there were people out there that I'd never seen. Like, I think it was Jackie's family was huge. And like, I saw the whole group and like, they had signs that said like, my aunt is faster than you and stuff like that, <laughs> which is so cute, you know? And so it was really cool. Just like seeing that commitment. And it like those that <laughs> you and I have gone to sporting events as kids. Like they had little kids who were super involved the entire time. And usually you see that one kid who's like really bored because it's like such a long race and they were so ready for her every single time she came around and no, and everyone was invested because you saw them so often. So it was really well set up for that spectator because they provided enough commentary for us to keep up. But at the same time, you saw the athletes often enough too to make you just be like, oh, she passed her. Oh, she passed her. That kind of situation. Yeah. And as a fan of the sport, you are a fan of the sport. Was yeah. there anything that really, any, any one performance that really surprised you aside? I mean, we already talked about Ashley Gentle's run, I guess that one, but anything else? Um, I'd say I might honestly, like Holly Lawrence making a move was pretty significant. Like coming out of the swim, I knew that she was a little farther behind, but her first couple laps on that bike were really spectacular. And she got with that group really quick and like kept on kind of keeping with them. I, that one really, uh, left a mark for me. Um, honestly, the thing that really shocked me, even as a spectator was the purse. 
I, uh, I had a conversation with a police officer afterwards because they, they were doing a great job keeping the course all monitored and things. And they were like, what's going on over there? And I gave them a rundown and I said, yeah, it's a million dollar purse. This is what PTO is trying to do. They're trying to make this like a US Open, like what we just saw in tennis and things along those lines and get that investment. And when I said million dollars, like their eyes got big and they were like, who are these people? Where are they from? The fact that it was world ranked athletes and that some of these people were going to be in Kona in like a couple of weeks too. They were like, this is happening here and that kind of thing. So like, I, I mean, honestly, it was the overall experience because of the caliber of athlete that I think was really the most impressive thing because it was the best of the best that were there too, you know, and they knew that this purse and that this required the most out of them. And that's why we saw a race like Ashley Gentle. Did it make you want to do one? Do it? Would you, would you sign up next year? <laughs> I think you inspire me more to do that. Not necessarily seeing this. Actually, it's the age groupers because I did get there earlier and I saw those age groupers who were doing it. And that's always to me like the wow moment is seeing people like you guys hanging out, handing out like medals at the finish line. That's the stuff that always gets me going where I'm like, I should do this because I could be the last person to finish and you would still hand me a medal. That would be cool too. So who knows? We'll see. Bikes still scare me a little bit. I like soul cycle and those like stationary bikes. That's my go-to thing. <laughs> they, I think they have like indoor triathlon sometimes, but we, you have time. You have time. I do. I do. But Hannah, thank you. Oh, Hannah, Hannah, Kate, <laughs> I call you both names. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us the spectator inside perspective on the PTO us open in Dallas. Yeah. I hope next year I'll see someone I actually know or am related to at this event. Me too. I hope so too. Awesome. So big thank you to my sister, uh, Hannah or Kate or Hannah Kate <laughs> for, for coming on, uh, really quick and telling us all about PTO Dallas. I think it was cool that she was there and it sounds like it was a really, really cool event and huge congrats to everyone who raced because you know, as she said, it was very hot and I could see that in the results. And I think Ash Gentle's 105 run is just insane, especially when, I mean, you compare it to the men's times the next day and it's just like, wow, what a run, but congratulations to Ashley Taylor, Lucy, that podium. And again, every single person who was on that start line. So awesome. Thanks for that recap. And Haley, we also need to be recapping what's been going on in your life as you are prepping for the Ironman world championships in Kona and Part of that is it looks like you have a little change of location, which I don't know if that's going to spice up your Kona workout of the week for us this week. How's that going? I am. I'm in Tucson, Arizona. So that was uh, a little bit of a spur of the moment heat camp train or change because I was very nervous about, I'm very, I am still very nervous about the heat in Hawaii. And so I was very lucky to be able to come out to Tucson where it is a lot warmer than Montana, as you can imagine. And I'm staying with Lauren, your athlete and her husband, Brent, who are also both racing in Hawaii. So we have a little like Kona camp going on here, I guess. And Tons of fun going on in that house. I'm sure. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, what Lauren's workouts were, um, I know she, she, she's doing a good job. She is doing a good job. I will, uh, give you that update as a coach, but um, yeah, there's a lot of training happening. So it was a big weekend of training and again, taking advantage of the heat here in, in Tucson and also every triathlete's favorite 
ride Mount Lemon. I did get to go on Lemon this weekend. And I actually, I did this workout. I did a five hour ride. So I'm, it's kind of, again, a little bit of a weird transition coming off Tremblant and I did a ride where I didn't ride all the way at Mount Lemon, but I did some hill repeats. So I did like four by 20 minute hill repeats on Mount Lemon. And then I wanted to, and then I did, this is like the most miserable part, like descended down. And this, it was probably like noon by the time I hit like Catalina highway. So there's a four mile stretch. That's like fairly flat leading to the base of lemon. And I wanted to do like some flatter, like Ironman efforts. So I did 45 minutes on the Catalina highway Ooh, and it gets toasty down there. It was like an oven because <clears throat> higher up, I was doing the hill repeats kind of higher up and it was like, it was hot, but it was like, you know, not too bad. And then as you're descending, it is like, what is happening? Cause it's, it's like descending into an oven. And, but that's exactly what I came for. That's what I remind myself. This is what you came for. So I did 45 minutes, like back and forth on the Catalina highway, which felt like the queen K, which just to say it felt miserable. There was like, there was another, there were a couple other cyclists out there, which was wild. And someone actually yelled. Was it Lauren and Brent? Was it Lauren? No, it wasn't Lauren and Brent. Someone I didn't know yelled across Catalina Highway, like, go Haley. And I was Whoa. like, what? So, you know, riding a neon green bike has its perks. You know, there's no confusion about who, who I am. Um, but it was, uh, that was kind of cool. That like did spur me on because it was hard mentally and physically, but I was really happy with how I handled the heat. I did drink like 10 drinks. I, I drank three three bottles in 45 minutes during Whoa. that. Yeah. That interval, because it was really warm. And then I did a little run off the bike on that Catalina highway, which again, you've done again, miserable. Like there's no shade. It was like 102 Fahrenheit, I think. Ooh. Um, and I was just telling, I mean, it was only 20 minutes. Thank God. I don't think I would have made 21 minutes, but, um, you know, I was just like, okay, this is what you came for. And, um, I feel like I handled it. Okay. Like I handled it. Okay. So again, I have a little bit more time here, um, getting as much time as I can in, you know, the heat for training within reason. And, um, but yes, also in much admiration of Lauren and Brent's workouts as well. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good spot to train for sure. It's not, I mean, I'm, I feel bad leaving Montana when it's like 40 in the morning and highs in the sixties. Like this is a really nice time of year to be in Montana. If you like, you know, fall temperatures, but Kona Kona's there. So that was my, there's my Kona workout of the week, you know, just suffering in the heat on Mount lemon as you know, I guess it's, that's how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. I think fall in Montana will wait for you another year and it will be there. And another year after that, if you're back in Kona the year after that and the year after that. So you have to take advantage of these. When I'm like uh, 80, I will be Kona. enjoying fall in Montana. I'm just kidding. I probably yeah, when you're long. rivaling, um, Sister Madonna Booter, you can, uh, you can skip the heat training and just go wing it and then enjoy the fall temps going into Kona, but not for, Perfect. not for now, for now you're doing the right thing. And we're excited. I'm excited that Lauren has some company out there and some, someone good to watch over and, uh, always let me know if she's slacking off. So that's good. Uh, no, there's no slacking in this household. I'm like, I feel like I'm the slacker in this household, but, um, yeah, no. And we did enjoy a nice little, uh, this was thanks to you. We enjoyed a night. I enjoyed a nice little shakeout swim last night in the dark at U of oh. a, which is like not normally something I, you know, but it gets dark fairly early here, but it was like, um, it felt really good. I was surprised. I will say the pools here, the pool situation here is excellent. It's so nice. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to be something, something outside. Would, yeah. It's hard to be. For sure. But speaking of swimming, uh, form goggles are 
one of our wonderful podcast sponsors. And we just wanted to remind our listeners that if, you know, if you want, no matter what kind of pool, if you're swimming outdoors in wonderful Arizona sunshine, or if you happen to be somewhere, uh, you know, a little, maybe not quite as nice, but still nice. Or if you're open water, you can always get the form swim goggles, be able to see the metrics of your swim right in your goggle, which the pool I was swimming in in Montana, definitely the clock situation was you know, left something to be desired. So it's, uh, it's nice to have that where you can actually see it. And all of our listeners can get $15 off any initial membership purchase. If you just head to formswim.com forward slash forward slash iron women and use that code iron women 15. So once again, that, that website is formswim.com forward slash iron women, $15 off an initial membership. And you can, uh, see the clock, see all your metrics, regardless of where you are doing your swims. And another reminder for our listeners is, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a very special mailbag episode coming up in a couple of weeks and you can continue to fill up. We're getting some great questions. Fill up our mailbag for that. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. That will be coming out on Kona Thursday for Haley. And so you can listen to that while we're all flipping back and forth between Kona coverage and cheering her on. Um, but yeah, send us those in soon because we are going to be recording that next week. So send us those questions, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And we do have a great interview. It is slightly Kona themed again this week. We are talking to Fenella Langridge and Fenella has burst onto this Ironman scene. I think in her debut at Coeur d'Alene 2021, she finished second and her very first Ironman, which was incredible. And then has gone on to have some really solid finishes, uh, Earlier this year in St. George at the Ironman World Champs in St. George, she finished eighth. So a top 10 finish at her first appearance there was excellent, followed by a second at Challenge Roth, um, which is, you know, a huge, huge race there. I think she led through halfway through the marathon. Or ha yeah, halfway through the marathon. I'm like, is that a half marathon? Yes, halfway through the marathon. But um, excellent. You know, she's just shown that she has what it takes at the distance. So we are going to talk to her about, you know, her thoughts leading into her first Kona. Uh, she also did compete at both the PTO races in Edmonton and Dallas this past weekend. And unfortunately DNF'd at both. So we ask her, you know, about the challenges that she had in Edmonton. And I know she just did post about, you know, just having some issues in Dallas. And I think they might be related to having COVID earlier in the year. So um, if anyone listens to this and has ideas for her, she put out a call to action on her Instagram. So you can always check that out if you have ideas, but I still think, you know, she's got a couple of weeks, get this figured out. She's going to be someone to watch in Hawaii and it's fun to chat with her. Always a good time, but we'll have that interview with Vanilla right after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Vanilla. Welcome to the iron women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's exciting. Oh, we're excited to have you. And I believe we're talking to you a day after a pretty exciting day for, uh, English women's sports. So you might uh, have to what? tell us the significance of the lionesses and their victory, because my knowledge of football and soccer is about Ted Lasso episode one. So, so <laughs> what is that like? Uh, it was, it was insane. Um, uh, England or the Lionesses got into the European uh, Championship final. They were playing Germany um, and they had a, a full pack stadium, which is the first time in history that's ever happened, and millions of people watching all across the country. And yeah, that 
as we say in the UK, in the UK, they brought it home. So they won and there's celebrations uh, in Trafalgar Square in, in London in the UK. And it was just an amazing day for women's sport and also for England just to see. Um, and the way that they played, uh, maybe in comparison to the men with such dignity and passion and... Yeah, it's just a huge stepping stone for women's football and hopefully um, women's sport. And speaking of stepping stones for women's sport, you also posted recently about watching the Women's Tour de France Femmes, which I think we all probably would agree has been one of the most like exciting weeks of sports spectating this summer. So yeah. do you have a standout moment from watching that week that or even just like an overall takeaway from watching, you know, the women bike racing last week that really has stood out to you? Um, probably not uh, one moment, but just how, yeah, f- phenomenal their fitnesses and the characters they have and why wasn't this um, broadcasted earlier, really? Like, it's so entertaining. It seems such a shame that it's only took up until now that we get to see it properly. Um, and hopefully, yeah, it's not just going to be this race. It'll be more races in the future a lot and maybe more alongside the men's race um like I guess triathlon where it's uh we race in the same race or obviously not in the same race for the cycling but like at the same time um yeah probably not just one standout day it's just those epic climbs and just watching them do it it's so insane and yeah I don't know (laughs) watching Annemiek Van Vluten ride up that 24% grade gravel road. I was just like, oh my goodness. I went the to the motorbikes like falling over. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the gym afterwards and I was like, okay, I added like a little bit of weight. Cause I was like, you can squat more. <laughs> I was like, just imagine how much like that it feels like you're like squatting to go up an incline like that. But yeah, it's been a great, great week weekend for women's sports. And and like you said, that 90,000 people in the stadium watching the Lionesses win and millions online and hopefully millions watching the Tour de France Femmes, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been some good time. And, and we're only talking to you a week after your own uh, kind of big time uh, spectacle race at the PTO Canadian Open. I know that this was sort of a, an add-on race for you because uh, you had raced Challenge Roth incredibly well a few weeks earlier but um can you tell us a little bit about the pto canadian open race this was the pto's first uh you know open they're hoping to have more of these but it was their first one and and why you decided to race and and how that went for you yeah so i went uh took the trip over to canada to race the first ever or open tour race um so i guess it's i don't know it's this is the first one, then they're going to go and do the US uh, Open um, in Texas. And then next year, they're going to have four Opens. So it'll be Canada, US, Europe and Asia. Uh, so it was, it was really good to be supporting the PTO and going to this race and to see how it all works, to see what it's like, to um, experience the Fast and Furious racing with everybody involved in it. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a last minute decision, but I'm glad I went, even though it was uh, absolutely rubbish race for me. Um, but yeah, it was exciting. It was fun. And I think they put on a good broadcast and 
I had so many people messaging saying they've watched it, which I think is so great. And it's definitely moving the sport of triathlon forward, which is really exciting. And I think part of the reason you struggled in that race, I think you posted that you don't think you were fully over COVID at that point. So how are you feeling now? What have you been doing kind of in, you know, the last week or so? Are you, do you feel back to hundred percent? Are you still kind of getting there? Yeah. So I, after Roth, I um, came down with COVID and it wasn't actually too, I was, I think I'm one of the lucky ones and it wasn't too bad. So I had like two days of like fluey like symptoms. Um, and then it was three weeks between Roth and the Canada Open. So I waited till I was negative to do anything intense and I hit a few sessions hard. So I wasn't going into um, Canada, like not doing anything to test it and to think I was all right. But obviously racing at that level of intensity for that long, you I'm not going to do in the three weeks between Roth and Canada. And I, de- I think it just showed when I can breathe when it came to, to race day, which is unfortunate when you travel that far and spend all that money but since then I've had a pretty chilled uh well training week um just not done anything intense intense I've like ticked over and done a little bit of swim bike run but just waiting another week until we um yeah until we I guess test the water in terms of that like top end um heart rate and stuff like that and I guess you don't really know until you uh do a session because generally on a whole I do feel pretty good um but yeah it's just such a weird uh illness or I don't know not disease that's the wrong word um and it can affect everyone so differently which is and one person's story is so different from the next which is quite hard to you wish it was clear cut and you know exactly what to do but yeah so we're just taking it steady for this week and then hopefully next week build in to some proper training and Fenella, can you tell us a little bit about you know the pto race and your experience because we see these races and they have a lot of perks i have a great prize purse good media coverage that you mentioned separate days of racing for men and women and i think there was actually a video of you and a few of the other pro women out cheering on the men the next day so that's kind of fun and they also have an age group race so were you able did you able to like interact with any of the age groupers or see any of the age group race and a lot of our listeners are amateur athletes um would you suggest they consider what racing one of these pto races yeah uh it, on a whole the race was went really smoothly um logistically it was really easy which i think from a pro profession perspective and an age group perspective is really good um we got to watch we didn't uh, to be honest i don't think we got to watch I got to watch as much of the age group races as as we would like they were before our race and then um I think the there was um like youth elite youth after the women's race and then the the age group race was before the pro men's race so um but yeah I know a lot of them hung around and a lot of the age groupers were there on course cheering for us um which was so great to hear and see their support. Um, but it, for them, I imagine it would be really, it, 
the level of racing and the speeds that the professionals are going at um and the intensity because of probably the prize money and the what's on the line would be great to see from an age group perspective and I don't think you're going to get that level of field um at many races um across across the globe so it's good to hear it the coverage of it was definitely exciting and I think they have been doing a really good job of getting that out there and with our listeners being more probably amateur athletes I think than professional athletes you know we definitely want to keep encouraging them to try some other opportunities that are coming available so we can keep these things going because it is you know that that's going to help drive the longevity for it for us as pros right so um and Finella you've been racing long course triathlon as a pro since 2017 and just in that time like the last four or five years things have changed so much and one of those changes is like the amount of high stakes racing that you can exist in a long course pros schedule in just one season. So this year in particular kind of raised the bar with that, right? Because we have two Ironman world championships in one calendar year. You also had the challenge family championships. Many would argue that Roth and the PTO races are championship level with, you know, the caliber of field and the, the money at stake there. So did you approach this season like differently, you know, now that it's kind of these, huge marquee events that can kind of go through the season and it's not so much like you know I think there's not enough time often to be like racing a few lower stakes races is kind of build up and how did you like you know think about that as compared to prior years oh no 100% and it has been really tricky and I think coming to next year I think it might get even more difficult to decide or to plan the season I guess this year was quite I say lucky that um I'd already qualified for Kona um which was then St George and with St George having the more slots allocated to it for Kona I was able to punch that ticket quite easy but if I hadn't of um raced well or raced okay at St George and not got that Kona stamp for the end of the year the season would have looked completely different I probably would have ended up not being able to do Roth and having to do an Ironman race and then probably depending on when that went not being able to do um, Canada or stuff like that so I, I think I have been quite lucky to hit these championships race is as a target from the beginning of the year but if something happens at the race at the beginning of next year and you don't finish or something goes wrong which is I think each and every one of us knows is so easy to happen uh, in races um yeah you could be doing you could plan one thing and then the next minute will be something else and then something else um so yeah I, I honestly love racing the big championship races and hopefully I'll be at all of them next year but if but that also includes um Kona Hawaii so you have to do a, a qualify some well I have to qualify at that qualify for that somehow so planning that in as amongst the other big races is um going to be quite tricky I think <laughs> We, we've mentioned Roth a couple of times and we do want to go more into that race and just generally from the 
photos, from the videos I saw, you look like you were having an incredibly good time. I think you were going up Blur Hill with all the spectators pumping up the code. You were leading this iconic race. You were ahead of world champion Annie Haug until halfway through the run. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it was incredible. It was amazing. If, if anyone gets the opportunity to come over to Europe and race it, um, it's like 100% the must go to race. The whole town, the whole villages get behind it. And sorry, pardon me. Um, for every one athlete, I think there's three volunteers. So the aid stations are packed. And honestly, I don't think at the moment on the course where you don't see someone or hear something or something you look up and it just makes you smile be it like a tree dressed in flags or like bales of hay in in a peculiar position um it's just incredible and yeah i i think we'd planned to we we thought it was possible to be leading pretty much the whole day but i guess you don't know it's actually possible to it's happening so I just tried to keep my composure, but as you said, it, it was hard not to enjoy it. Um, and I think those races, when you're having fun, it really does bring out, bring out the best in you. So all the crowds, all the athletes on the course just made it even more enjoyable. So I suppose I could ride, ride or run even faster. Um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And like you said, to, be leading most of the day in front of a phenomenal athlete like Annie is just, yeah, it's, it was pretty cool. And, and a race, uh, probably one of my best or most memorable races uh, to date. And I'll definitely remember it for forevermore. And how do you feel about that second place finish? I think you'd finished third there last year. <laughs> and I mean, you looked, you looked thrilled. Is that how it felt? Yeah, it was. I, uh, I probably needed another two or two or three minutes on the on the bike to hold off Annie. I'm probably not quite running a two forty six, I think she ran, or two forty eight quite yet. Um, I was hoping to to break the three hours um, on the run, but yeah, one day um, I think I will. But a non form Annie is is nice to come second to uh obviously the win would be pretty sweet and coming third last year and second this year so hopefully a win will be there next year but yeah I, I can't complain it was an amazing race and to be honest I think I had more fun than Annie so uh I think I'm the winner at the end of the day <laughs> And Vanilla, before you started in long course triathlon, you did race a couple seasons of ITU racing, but it seems like you pretty quickly found your niche in long course and like really just jumped over to the side of the sport. So was long course kind of always the focus or not? You kind of tested the waters with ITU to see how that would go first. Um, I never raced ITU. So I raced European cups, which is like okay. a couple of levels below that. Um, I got selected I could have gone and raced world cups but uh, it was at the point of like life where I had to make some tricky decisions um, when I was racing like short course I was still work well I just spent I'd had a year 
the first year of triathlon I was at uni so that was I suppose like you could balance uni work and training life quite easily and I was just getting into triathlon so I didn't realize the amount of dedication and time it really took in the second year um I was working or second or third year I was working like part-time alongside training and still loving loving doing both and and just trying to get by after uni like you do just uh, paying rent uh, paying bills and just still having fun not really seeing triathlon as a a true lifestyle choice or as a, a profession and then it got to the point where I was probably improving at uh, triathlon and seeing the opportunities to make it more of a profession in the terms of the people I hung around with to the amount of time that I wanted to commit to it um, and at that point I was I was pretty I'd come like I think my best result in the European Cup was fifth I could have gone to Commonwealth Games um, but I was still working and living or paying rent. So to make make the full-time commitment to triathlon, I had to, well, I, I moved back in at home with my mum and changed, and that's like a change of location as well. So I was pulled out of that kind of uh, short course draft legal environment. And it just seemed like a... I was training on my own and it just seemed like more of a logical step to to go into the 70.3 type of racing where you are a little bit more lonely all day <laughs> rather than being surrounded by people um, on the bike and the skills that you need and although like I was improving at the short course I think deep down I always knew that I would suit the longer course just the way I like this, I guess this in swimming training and in the run sessions my top end repeatability was never quite there compared to some of the other girls and guys um, whereas I could hold that sustained effort that you need in the longer course um, a lot better. Uh, saying that if I maybe went back and um, well not now I don't think but uh, if I'd gone back maybe three years ago as a full-time athlete I think I would have been quite competitive but yeah not at the level or I think enjoyment that I I have now so are you are you full-time triathlon right now yeah I am luckily well I still live at um home with my mum <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully that will change but uh yeah it does that financial security is is taken taken care of um and yeah it enables us to go uh, go on camps whenever we want to without the worry of bills and mortgages and all the other stuff that owning a property you have to <laughs> you have to deal with and um someone to look after the or be in the house when you're away uh and yeah just um allows us to be full-time which i personally don't think I could work alongside trailing my brain just doesn't work like that I can't multitask in any sense I'm definitely an all or nothing 
type of person. So for these next five, six years, I'm 100% triathlon. And then when that changes, um, yeah, <laughs> we'll see, I guess. Vanilla, on the PTO site, it says that you've listed the best advice you've ever been given. Uh, you listed it as, <laughs> you said, don't put anyone on a pedestal. So yeah. we were curious who gave you that advice and how has it helped you in sport and in life? Um, it was Lucy Gossage. And I can't remember when she said it to me. Um, is it probably at one of my first, my first year of 70.3 racing? Um, but yeah, I think it has definitely like I go into these championship races and you obviously race against these phenomenal athletes um or with phenomenal results and I don't think I'm I know they're good but I know they're beatable at the same time like anything can happen um bad days or or good days I don't know I just I think I have always taken that with me into all these big races and just yeah just I suppose as well like you're all well the sun rises again tomorrow it's not the end of the world if it it goes bad um you just got to keep on turning up and and trying to put your best foot forward and trying your best and if that's winning that's winning if that's second third that's second or third um I guess you've just got to be happy with what you what you are doing and and yeah I don't know quite a few, <laughs> a few things in that but yeah don't no one's unbeatable basically <laughs> and in this era of triathlon it's kind of a never-ending battle for athletes to balance the performance side of things with like social media presence and obligations right and it seems a lot of times, like many of the top athletes have pretty curated social media. Maybe that isn't even done by them. And if our listeners take a look and follow you, um, I think they might find your Instagram really refreshing. You seem to really embrace the fun side of things. You're posting fun reels. You have silly content and you like genuinely seem to be having fun with your social media. So <laughs> is that an accurate way to describe your relationship with it? Yeah, I think... Uh yeah, I think so. Like, I am generally pretty um, a positive and, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, obviously, I don't always enjoy social media in terms of it, it can, if you read a comment or you hear something, but I think, um, I don't know, maybe I'll, um, I'm not saying I'm mature because I'm really not mature <laughs> maybe I've just got a level enough head to realize that that's just their opinion it doesn't have any effect on me or or maybe more to the point that I'm just going to go out and prove them wrong or if they're writing comments like that they're obviously not very happy themselves um, and I'm pretty happy doing whatever I do and trying to take each session uh, rep by rep and just smiling at the end of it regardless of what happens um and yeah I do I'm not really like like I'm serious but not to the point where you have to tell everyone about it um I don't think everyone needs to know the 
in ins and outs of yeah numbers and watts and whatever and to be honest as an athlete I obviously know them but I'm not like this is what I've got to do this is what I've got to hit and I've got to be at this range blah 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 and just take a glance okay yeah that's how I'm feeling or that that's um yeah that's oh that's what I thought it would be or oh I didn't think it would be that it's not like I don't know but yeah social media is a it's great it's been so positive for elite sport and I think and like reaching out to people like yourselves and other age group or other athletes of it and teaching or educating other age, age group athletes um and we wouldn't be a profession without it but yeah it is I do enjoy doing it sometimes you don't always want to do a post but yeah it's just part of the job these days but and you mentioned numbers and occasionally triathletes we do like some numbers and I think one of your partners your sponsors is precision precision hydration and so after you raced in Roth they posted a pretty cool graphic with some of your nutrition stats and I think it said you were taking close to 100 grams of carbs an hour a thousand milligrams of sodium and 27 ounces of fluid. And that's every hour. And and we do not necessarily give nutrition advice specific on this podcast, but this is really cool information. And so I'm curious about your relationship with precision, precision hydration and how you have dialed in that nutrition plan. Cause I mean, hundred grams of carb is an hour is very impressive. That's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of carbs. There's not many. Well, I heard the other day that Christian's Blumenfeld's on 120 grams of carbs per hour. And I was like, that's that's a lot. Um, Yeah, we've been working closely with them um, before races and after races uh, to analyze, or first, like before a race, we'll make a plan um, considering the race, what the predicted temperatures and stuff would be, because I guess it has quite a big impact on not just uh, sodium and how much energy you will need. Um, and then the, we do the race and then we analyze uh, what we actually ended up doing. Cause you know, you can lose a bottle, you have to take on course nutrition and stuff like that. Um, and then the perceived, um, yeah, how you perceived the, the race went in terms of energy levels throughout or, crampings and stuff uh, if you cramp and stuff like that so we've been doing that for quite a maybe a year or so in each race that we do and then trying to whatever we learn from those races then implement it into training with the aim probably about a year and a bit ago to move my calorie or my glucose um, intake to around 100 and so we've been able to increase that quite well, we've been able to increase that and as you saw in rough I think yeah I was 100 or 99 99 grams 99 about yeah. 99 and I had to round because my brain is like <laughs> needs round numbers <laughs> yeah I was aiming for 100 so it would have been a lot nicer <laughs> but yeah I think it was like 99 um and yeah and and I suppose it showed with the I'd really good energy levels throughout the race in in rough um which was good and yeah was, I don't know I don't think we'll push it much higher than that um 
but yeah it's it's a good relationship and they're really proactive and they're always reaching out um and and trying to help in any way they way they can um it's just really great and here at Iron Women, Haley is usually our resident super swimmer on the show. But while we have you here, we'd love to ask you if you have a like favorite, you know, iron distance prep or even 70.3 prep swim set. That's like your go-to that our listeners might want to try themselves. Maybe if they're getting ready for, and you know, a race coming up, what's something you, you kind of do to be like, okay, I'm ready. Like this is the target I, I'm hitting. <laughs> Oh, I need to ask Hayley what her, I need to find out all about her swim set. Um, <laughs> when I'm on your podcast, we can talk about oh, that. Okay. <laughs> I'll create one just for this opportunity. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say, I, I, don't know, I probably have a swim set, but maybe what's more helpful is before a race, um, checking out the venue and so it, before a race, I'll probably always swim in the swim venue. Um, I make sure that I look at the entrance to see how we or how we get in. So if it's a run in, I'll practice running in, or if it's a deep water start, I'll practice wherever that may be on the course, and just look for places to sight or probably go there at a similar time to when you'll be swimming in the race so that you know what the sun's going to be doing so that you just so that you're aware of your surroundings because it's already every lake the sea or wherever you are is always different so it's just nice to get that familiarity so that you nothing is going to scare you on race day um or like disorientate you because you suddenly like turn and breathe the other way and you get blasted with sun you're not like startled or anything like that um and I guess yeah feel for the water and I get with think with salt water you're going to be a little bit more buoyant or with a river you're not or the density of lakes is always a little bit different so you always feel slightly different when you're swimming in it um yeah so probably do that the day or, or day before or um day day before a race and also the exit as well so you know what to look for and that you're not going to um, run over any, or just to be aware if there's a really big lip or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the probably my best swimming tip uh, that I think anyone can use when they're going into their um, when they're going into their next race. Uh, yeah, and then and a few starts or something like that. But I think that's more important in uh, the higher end uh, age group or the people are looking to get times or to swim on people's feet um but yeah I think just get as familiar as you can with your surroundings to mitigate any of those unwanted stresses that you don't want on race day I don't want any nasty surprises so very 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 good advice uh Fenella, before we let you go we know that you are coming off a racing streak that you also have a very important race coming up in October where you'll be racing you know in Kona um do you have any other races planned in the meantime or is it just head down training for Kona right now I think the main aim will be Kona um but we'll use Texas Open or uh, the US Open to get us out stateside and to get us acclimatized to the heat because I heard it's pretty warm in well pretty warm and humid in in Kona but also in in Texas so um 
yeah that's the looking like the plan at the moment well thank you so much for joining us we've loved chatting with you continue celebrating all those wins <laughs> for england and for yourself and we look forward to watching you you know in texas and on the big island this fall thank so you. thanks Will again we see you on the big island um i gotta qualify <laughs> we'll see <Ooh. laughs> I, uh, I might go race Trumbull out here in a few weeks, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. you might hear you might uh, hear me cheering from home. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Digitally um, implanting in there, but thank you so much, Vanilla. Have a have Cheers. a great week. Bye. Thanks, guys. Well, Alyssa, I'm excited to see what Fenella can do in Hawaii. And I hope she does get some of those health issues figured out, but I have no doubt, you know, she has a couple of weeks, she's obviously in good shape and she knows how to do the Ironman distance. So it'll be fun to see her debut in Kona in just a few weeks. Yes. And Haley, I hope you enjoy the rest of your time heat training in Tucson. I hope that Lauren is teaching you the t-shirt in the freezer trick, um, oh, for some of no. her brick. Oh. She hasn't taught me that. Oh, I think she did mention that, but I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I know. I think that's pretty magical. Um, help for some of, if you have to do some things that, you know, beyond like 8am there and it's just, it's just really hot. So it's fascinating. Like I never realized the value of insulated water bottles until, yeah, until I got you're, here like, somewhere that's really hot. Yeah. Um, so I hope you learned that trick. I hope you have fun. Definitely. You look like you're thriving in the heat so far. So just take it in. And exactly like you said, this is what you came for. So um, I can't wait to see all of that heat training pay off in a couple of weeks. But um, but yeah, I think to everyone else, do we say send, reminder, send in your mailbag questions, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Please send us those before we record next week because we're going to be doing that mailbag episode soon. And I think that's all, Haley. I'm going to continue to get sleep this week. So my um, speech pattern is a little bit more articulate for when we're answering these mailbag questions. And I can't wait to hear how your next Kona workout of the week it will be next week. I know. We'll, we really only have like one more week. Oh my gosh, it's coming up quick. But thanks, Alyssa. Recover well. And I will chat with you next week. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Woman is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.